Let's turn now to God's Word together. Genesis 33 is our Old Testament text tonight. Genesis 33. This is God's Word. Let's give it our full attention together. Now Jacob lifted his eyes and looked... And there Esau was coming, and with him were four hundred men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two maidservants. And he put the maidservants and their children in front, Leah and her children behind, and Rachel and Joseph last. Then he crossed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And he lifted his eyes and saw the women and children and said, Who are these with you? So he said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. And the maidservants came near, they and their children, and bowed down. And Leah also came near with her children. And they bowed down afterward. Joseph and Rachel came near, and they bowed down. Then Esau said, What do you mean by all this company which I met? And he said, These are to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. And Jacob said, No, please. If I found favor in your sight, then receive my present from my hand, inasmuch as I've seen your face as though I'd seen the face of God and you were pleased with me. Please take my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough. So he urged him, and he took it. Then Esau said, Let us take our journey. Let us go, and I will go before you. But Jacob said to him, My Lord knows that the children are weak, and the flocks and herds which are nursing are with me. And if the men should drive them hard one day, all the flock will die. Please, let my Lord go on ahead before his servant. I will lead on slowly at a pace which the livestock that go before me and the children are able to endure until I come to my Lord and seer. And Esau said, Now let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, What need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. And Jacob journeyed to Succoth, built himself a house, and made booths for his livestock. Therefore the name of the place is called Succoth. Then Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from Paddan Aram, and he pitched his tent before the city. And he brought, the, he brought the parcel of land where he had pitched his tent from the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for 100 pieces of money. And he erected an altar there and called it El Elohe Israel. And our New Testament reading is Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 11. If then you were raised with Christ... Seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, 
fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them, but now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Amen. Praise be to God that he's given us this word. Let's seek his grace now that he would apply it to us. Gracious Lord God, you are the author of this word. It is your word, your life-giving word, your all-powerful word, your creating out-of-nothing word. And so we, we ask that you would speak it to us, open our hearts to receive it, shine the light of the gospel of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ into our hearts. Now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 33 presents us with a puzzle. Is Jacob progressing in his walk with the Lord? Or is he regressing in his walk with the Lord? Genesis 32, which we looked at last Lord's Day, showed us a changed Jacob, a new Jacob. He was praying. He was, he was depending on the Lord. He was pleading with God for grace. Um, and God gave him a new name. Renamed him. No longer are you Jacob, the heel grabber, the usurper, the tricker, and the cheat. Now you are Israel, the Prince of God, the one who is under my grace and under my blessing, and the one, the one whom I have wrestled with, and the one who has learned to trust me. Um, it's wonderful to see all that in chapter 32. But then we get to chapter 33, and we're starting to get mixed messages. Here in chapter 33, there is evidence in chapter 33, as we just read, of, of growth, of grace, of holiness. But then there's also plenty of evidence of the same old sins. Um, Jacob's faith is mixed. It's, it's confusing. Who do we have? Is this, is this Jacob or Israel here in Genesis 33. It's not a nice, tidy narrative, right, following on from chapter 32. If I were writing this story, I would want chapter 33 building on chapter 32 with, with right, he's continuing to improve. He's continuing to look up for Jacob. He's continuing, continuing to do well. Look how God has turned his life around. Isn't it wonderful? But God wrote this story. It's his history. And praise God that he wrote it the way he did where he shows us that he calls a sinner named Jacob to himself. He gives him a new name. And then he continues to be faithful to that sinner, even when that sinner keeps going back into his old sins. Because this is exactly what our experience is as well, isn't it? You can look at your own life, I'm sure, as I can look at mine. And, uh, and one day, oh, it's a good day. Right? You're, you're in the Word, you're in prayer, you're relying on the Lord, you're full of joy in Him and His salvation. Uh, resolve for holiness, um, seeing victories over sin. And then another day comes, and it's just um, one of those days. Um, we look at our lives. Are you progressing or are you regressing? 
It depends on, on, on how we're looking at it, right? Are, are you increasing in holiness or are you falling for the same old temptations? Um, it's so often both, isn't it? In our experience in the Christian life, it's, it's both at the same time. Feeling, right, the Lord is drawing me to Himself and he's, and he's giving me hatred for my sin, but oh, I still sin and fall into temptation. Um, there's a... There's a poet I've quoted before, John Donne, 17th century fellow, um, who writes this in, in his holy sonnet number 19, uh, which gets at this reality we're talking about here. He says, Oh, to vex me, contraries meet in one. I dare not view heaven yesterday. And today, in prayers and flattering speeches, I court God. Tomorrow I quake with true fear of his rod. So my devout fits come and go away. Contraries, meet in one. It's what he's describing here. It's what, um, it's right, uh, what, what Paul writes about in Romans 7, isn't it? Uh, I do not understand my own actions. I don't do what I want. I do the very thing I hate. I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. That's the Christian life on our way to glory. Uh, it's, it's that, as our confession says, the, the ir- continual and irreconcilable war. Flesh against the spirit, spirit against the flesh, right? You are no longer Jacob, you're Israel, you're in Christ. And yet... And yet you still fall into some of those old sins. Um, this is what Genesis 33 is, is teaching us. It's not giving it to us in the clear propositions of, say, Colossians 3, as we read earlier, but it's giving it to us in the colorful pictures of the Old Testament types and, and shadows. But the message is the same. God has redeemed you. He's given you a new name. So live according to that new name. Put off the old man. Put on Christ. Three headings, loved ones, as we work through this together, uh, navigate this chapter together. The first one, old sins. Old sins, verses uh, 1 through 2 here. Chapter 32 ends telling us that Jacob spent the night wrestling with God, and, and God gives him this permanent limp to remember this moment from, and, and he gives him this new name, Israel. Um, and it's, uh, Jacob's learned about God's grace, he's learned about faith, and he goes, a- after that episode, he, he goes across the fords of the river Jabbok, limping um, um, to, meet, to meet with Esau as the sun is rising. And it's this, it's this picture, right? He's come out of this wrestling match with God, a new man, a changed man. And as he goes to meet Esau, the sun is rising on him, the text says. It's this moment where he looks, he looks like this is, this is Israel now, uh, trusting in the Lord, depending on the Lord, calm, serene, ready to meet Esau, his brother, even though he's afraid of him. Hopeful moment. But then chapter 33 starts, and in the very first verses, Jacob's newfound faith suddenly withers. Um, he lifts up his eyes, sees his brother, and, and all that, uh, all the guys with him, 400 men with him, and in a moment, his courage evaporates as he sees this. He forgets God. He forgets that God was just with him 
and all the things God just taught him, and he reverts to the same old sins. In his perception, as he looks up and he sees Esau, and he sees these 400 guys, they dwarf God. They can't see God. They crowd God right out of the picture for him. This is what the fear of man does. It does it to Jacob, and as you know, it does it to us as well. Right? It, it, uh, it humbles our resolves for holiness, doesn't it? We, we get the circumstance or, 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 or these people. You know God is calling you to do this thing, face this thing, work through this thing. You resolve to do it. But then when you actually come to the time where it's time to do it, then it looks frightening again. And, uh, and any thought of God just, it's gone. Um, this, is, this is Peter, right? Warming himself for the fire. And um, he has just said to Jesus, if I have to die for you, I'll never betray you. I'll never leave you, Jesus. And then there he is, warming his hands at the fire. Jesus is on trial just inside the house. And the servant girl says to Peter, you're, you're one of his disciples, aren't you? And Peter says, I never knew him, right? Take, he, he, he curses. No, I, I never knew him. Um, no, I don't know him at all. Um, so fear comes. He gets the better of his faith. Um, loved ones, this happens to us. This happens to us when we take our eyes off the Lord, when, when we forget who He is, when we forget His promise that He's with us, that, he's, that, he, that, that he is almighty, all-powerful, and, and, he's, and He's with us. Um, oh, that we would learn to fear Him and, and have, have our sense of God dwarf everything else in our lives. Psalm 118, verse 6 says, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? To get that in your heart, loved ones. The Lord is on my side. But Jacob's afraid. He sees Esau and only Esau. And this is where it starts to spiral down uh, because he doesn't cry out to the Lord. Lord, I'm afraid. I'm, I'm tempted to fall into fear. Help me. Um, be my refuge, my ever-present help in time of need. He doesn't do that. Instead, he goes back to being Jacob again. Um, he lay, he's got his own plan. He takes matters into his own hands. Whenever we take matters into our own hands, we can be sure we're sinning. Um, he takes it into his own hands here. Um, he, he, he divides his family up. He, he puts the concubines and their children in front, and then it's Leah and her children next, and then his favorite uh, Rachel and her son Joseph in the rear. The thinking, of course, well, if he attacks, well, we can spare the concubines and their children. And, and then, you know, after that, Leah. Um, but, but let's make sure Rachel and Joseph escape. Um, this, is, this is an old sin for him. Um, this is something that has been going on for years now in his family. It's been, right, it's been... Um, it, 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 it's it's uh, it, these fault lines of favoritism running underneath his family, and they're going to they're going to cause so much heartache for him. Uh, they they have, and, and they will continue to think about what this would have done to his children who are in the front. This is going to cause so much pain and so much uh, trouble for this family, and all of it is because of Jacob's continual hanging on to the sins of favoritism. Uh, so, so here we see Jacob, right? Same old Jacob. Um, same old fears driving him. Same old self-reliance going on. And the same old favoritism going on. 
Where's Israel? Isn't that what we ask? Where, where's the newly named uh, Israel who, who, uh, who had that faith in God just before in chapter 32? Um, where, where is the evidence of his new identity in God? Loved ones, this is one of the, obviously, uh, one of the great struggles of the Christian life is to, is to come to see that we have a new identity in Christ. Uh, n- not, uh, uh, not, not one that we have gained for ourselves, earned for ourselves, or accomplished for ourselves, but one that has been given to us, an identity we've received graciously from God, a gift of His grace received by faith. We're in Christ. Um, and when we are in Christ, we are filled with the Spirit, and we are justified and sanctified and, and set apart for holiness and adopted and brought into God's family and and we taste the glories of the age to come, and yet we, we still stumble into sin and temptation again and again in the same old ways. Don't be discouraged. Uh, this, is, this is what we should expect. God, God, God has called us to a long obedience in the same direction, as we like to say. Um, so, so as you see that, that the, those old temptations to sin, as you see the residue of, of life apart from Christ still clinging to your life, not just run to Christ more, brothers and sisters. Keep coming back to Him and saying, I know who I am in you. I know who you've made me to be. Help me to walk according to what you've, what you've given me, according to what you've declared me to be, uh, so that I can put off this, this sin. This is what we see then uh, in, in the first couple of verses here. The second heading here is new obedience. So this is verses 3 through 11. Uh, new obedience here. Um, Things start to look up now, though, uh, for Jacob. Uh, he's, he, he, he's, not, uh, he's not completely shipwrecked his faith, apostatized. He's, he's stumbling into old sins, but the grace of God's at work, and so he is continuing to grow in faith and obedience at the same time. Um, and we see that, that grace of God at work in Jacob in three ways here. The, the first is the obedience of humility. The obedience of humility. Notice we see in Jacob here, um, uh, he, he goes ahead of everyone else to meet Esau, and as he approaches Esau, he bows to the ground seven times. He, he's not just flattering him. Uh, I, don't, I don't think he's being obsequious. I, I think he's, he's sincere. I don't think he's cursing his brother under his breath as he's bowing to the ground in front of him. I think he is, uh, he is treating his brother genuinely, sincerely, as his superior, recognizing that Esau is the older brother. And yes, all his life, right, he wrestled against that, pushed against that, fought that, tried to claim for himself the superior position. But now here he is, repentant, bowing to his brother, posturing himself as his brother's servant. Uh, Jacob, 20 years ago, never would have bowed to his brother seven times in a row coming to meet him, calling him Lord, saying, I'm your servant. Never would have done that. Um, I have a couple of cousins, pretty close in age. Um, uh, bo- both of them pretty strong-willed. Uh, uh, and uh, I remember growing up, they were very competitive with each other, especially the, the younger of the two, the, the second-born with the first-born. And I remember his mom, my aunt, used to always say, the younger cousin could never forgive his brother for being born first. Younger brother could never forgive him for being born first. And that's exactly the, the dynamic here with uh, Jacob and Esau all his life, right? Trying to 
usurp his brother, but now he's bowing to him. This is, this is, uh, this is real humility. Right? God's grace over these 20 years has, has humbled Jacob and made him a servant, even of Esau. Um, humility, this is what we see here in, in, in his obedience here to the Lord. Um, uh, we see this humility. Humility is, uh, is at the very heart of all repentance, loved ones. Uh, without humility, without brokenness for your sin and, and a heart humbled before God and before others, you don't have true repentance. You can have remorse, but, you, but, you, but pride in your heart will still make excuses and you'll downplay your sin and, uh, uh, and, and, and uh, try to minimize, minimize your sin. But if God has humbled you, then you won't try to exalt yourself before Him or others. This is what the grace of God does, loved ones. It always produces humility. The grace of God always produces humility and servants. You, you, you cannot be growing in Christ and growing in pride. If the grace of God is at work in you, you will be growing inevitably, increasingly humble before Him and before others. That's the first thing we see. We see this humility growing in Jacob. The second aspect of his obedience, this new obedience we see in Jacob here, is generosity. Um, we, we see Jacob repent. He humbles himself before his brother, but then perhaps even more striking is his generosity towards his brother. Look at what he says in verse 11. These are just stunning words. Um, Esau is, is saying, take back the gift. In chapter 32, Jacob sends this gift, all of his livestock, goats, his sheep, and all the rest, to, to Esau as a gift to him. And now Esau's saying, I don't, take it back. I don't, I don't need the gift, politely refusing. And Jacob says to him in verse 11 here, please take my blessing. So many years ago, Jacob said to Esau, give me your birthright. Give me your blessing. His, his whole ambition was to steal his brother's blessing. He cheated for it. He lied for it. He blasphemed for it. Grasped. But look at how he's changed. Please take my blessing, he says to his brother. God's grace has come and turned his greed into gratitude to God. And God's grace has come and turned his grasping and his stealing into giving, generous giving, back to his brother. God's grace over these 20 years right, has taught him, you don't earn my blessing, Jacob. You don't strive for it and earn it. You receive it by my grace. Um, we, we, we saw this back in chapter 32, Jacob's prayer. He says, I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you've shown to your servant. He gets the gospel there. Right? It, it's the grace of God, lavish blessing of God. I was a sinner and God wouldn't stop coming after me, showing me his grace and blessing me. And, 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 and that grace has got down into Jacob's heart. And so transformed him that now he gives back to his brother. But friends, have you ever encountered, met, met someone who is just astonishingly generous? Isn't it a beautiful thing to see? 
someone who's, who's just quick, quick to give, generously, sacrificially. Um, it, 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 it looks, it's such a beautiful thing. It's such a, such a marvelous thing. They, they give not expecting anything back. It's disinterested. They're not trying to, to make a name for themselves. They're just giving because they've tasted the grace of God. Don't you want to be like that? Um, the, pro- the problem is our hearts are worship money and, and what it can give us. The, the stuff it can give us, the security it can feel like it gives us, the uh, position it can feel like it gives us, the pride, the power, feeling of being in control, freedom uh, uh, we think it will give us from worry. Um, our, our natural tendency is to take it, hoard it, keep it, spend it all for ourselves. Not to give. Generously. Um, to others. Um, but then the gospel comes. The grace of God comes. And, and it's like oil and water. The more the grace of God is poured into your heart, the greed is going to go. If, if you understand the grace of God and, and, and that He's freely giving you Himself and all His benefits in Christ, that's going to produce generosity. It's going to get rid of the greed and the grasping, and it's going to turn you into a generous person, a giving, sacrificially giving person um, more and more. Um, this is what Paul writes about his letter to the Corinthian, second letter to the Corinthian church, calling them to give generously to the work of God in Jerusalem, these Christians that they probably most of them have never met, um, but he's calling them to support them financially. And uh, he pleads with them like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Aren't you astonished at what God has given you? His generosity to you in Christ. Um, Jesus, he had everything, and he gave it up, took on our, 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 our human flesh, um, and, and, and came after us. He, he, uh, he, he paid the cost to redeem us for his Father with his own blood. Uh, he became poor so that we might be made rich. And so the only proper response, the only possible response when you come to know that, is to give more generously and, and freely. And this is what we see in Jacob. Now the third thing, third aspect of his new obedience here is giving all the glory to God. When you first read through the text, uh, and especially in verses 3 through 11, um, it looks, you, we see the two brothers, Esau and Jacob, and it almost looks like Esau is the better guy. Uh, quick to forgive, runs to his brother, hugs his brother, uh, freely forgives him, um, just delighted to see his family. Are these your kids, brother? Right? He's just excited to see his brother again and um, invites Jacob, come to my place in Seir. Uh, uh, come along, I'll show you hospitality. Um, we see these good things in Esau. But um, if you read a little more closely, um, here, you notice a conspicuous difference between the words of the two brothers, Jacob's words and Esau's words. Consider how Jacob talks in, the, in this section here. Verse 5, for example, Esau asks Jacob, who are these people with you? 
and um, Jacob, Jacob responds, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. Notice, God has graciously given, Jacob says. Uh, he's, he's giving the credit to God. It's like he can't utter two sentences without saying, oh, it's the generous, gracious gift of God to me that has blessed me. Um, he says it again uh, in, in verse 11. He tells his brother, God has dealt graciously with me. So Jacob's whole frame of reference here, right? His, his understanding of, of his life is God has graciously blessed me. Then um, there's Esau. He doesn't mention God once. Look through. Not, not once does he give thanks to God, give credit to God, or, 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 or uh, say this is the result of the grace of God. And in, in verse 9, there's a, telling, there's a telling absence of God there. In verse 9, when he's trying to politely return Jacob's gift of, of the livestock, he says to Jacob, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. He doesn't say, oh, Jacob, God has blessed me too. He just says, I have enough. Um, Ian Dugat, in his commentary on this passage, makes the point here that, that Esau does not see any need for God's blessing in his life, right? Twenty years ago, he was so mad at his brother, you took my blessing. Um, but, but now, you know what? It's worked out all right without God's blessing for Esau. In his, in his understanding of things, right, he didn't have to go through what Jacob went through. Exiled, run away from home, uh, uh, get treated so poorly by, by Uncle Laban, uh, wages changed ten times, um, all that Jacob went through there. Arguably, Esau's had it a lot better than Jacob. He's here with 400 men. He's got plenty of livestock. I don't need God's blessing. I'm all right in myself. Um, how many of us live like Esau in this sense, brothers and sisters? You know about God. Raised in the church, perhaps. Raised in the covenant family. Uh, think, about, think about God sometimes, right? He's on, he's on the edge of your consciousness. But you don't feel like you desperately need him and owe everything all the time to him and to his, in his grace. Right? Most days you can manage all right by yourself. Um, perhaps the blessing of God's not all it's cracked up to be. You don't, you don't think constantly of him, thank him, give credit to him, give glory to him. That's a deadly way to live. Deadly way to live. Esau is so comfortable without God being the focus and the center and the, the, the beating heart of his life. God is finally edged for him. Right? And, and he's, he's, Esau is living with this idea that, that earthly blessing is enough. He doesn't need the eternal inheritance in God himself. He can just enjoy a good life on his own. That, that, that's not how saving faith lives. That's not how true faith and, and, and obedience walk before the Lord. Um, when you've been renamed by the grace of God in Christ, and when you've been remade in Christ, then he becomes the center of everything for you. Uh, uh, the center of your life. Everything, it's a paradigm shift in your life. And you see that everything is from Him. Everything is His grace to me. Therefore, my life is all a response in praise to Him. 
all of His grace, all for His glory, is the cry of the Christian life. Love, is that, is that how you live? In everything, oh, it's by His grace. In everything, it's for His glory. That's the only kind of life that the Gospel will produce. So we see this new obedience to Jacob. It's encouraging. Um, but before we celebrate too much, um, he goes right back into unbelief and sin again. And, uh, and then into worship. But it's all mixed here, isn't it? Um, his life continues to be a, a life of dross and gold together. And this brings us to our third and final heading, mixed faith, verses 12 through 20. Here we see two failures uh, in, in Jacob once again. Um, first of all, straight off the bat, he lies to his brother. He's just been giving the glory to God, um, uh, and now he, uh, now he falls right back into lying. It's painful to hear, isn't it? Uh, it's frustrating, right? He's just praised the God of grace, and now he's telling a lie to his brother. Um, we see here his best efforts are, are failed efforts, but the grace of God still pursues him. Um, he, he, the occasion that gives rise to his lie is that Esau invites him to come with him to Seir. Jacob does not want to live near his brother, and I think that's fine. Um, probably would be better for their relationship if he doesn't live near his brother. Gives him more room, gives Esau more room. Um, he's happy to have been reconciled to him, but he knows there's no need to live near each other. Um, he, he knows really, I think, that God is, wants him to go on to Bethel. Um, we'll, we'll come more to that later. Um, but uh, he doesn't say any. He doesn't say that Esau. You know, I think it'd be better. Thanks for the invite, but it'd be better for me to go on where I think God is calling me to Bethel. Um, uh, he instead completely just tells a lie to him. He says, uh, "You go ahead. We'll catch up." Um, he uh, is again falling back into his old sin, relying on himself, afraid of Esau, uh, not not willing to confront him. Um, hasn't he seen God's protection this whole way? God bringing him safely. Uh, 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 to, uh, to, to Paddan Aram in the first place, bringing him out of Canaan, being with him all those years there, bringing him out now uh, to return him home. God has been with him. God's hand has been on him. God's given him these precious promises and blessings and told him, I'm with you. I'm with you. But he lies. He lies to his brother again. He's addicted to the fear of man. Um, first failure we see. The second failure is in his choice of residence. Instead of going to Bethel, Bethel's the place where on the way out of Canaan, the first time, 20 years before, God met with him and, and promised to be his God forever. And Jacob sets up this monument to God uh, to there. Um, Jacob gets sidetracked and instead goes to the city of Shechem. Um, buys some land there, pitches his tent there, builds a house. He settles in for a while. There's some subtle warning signs here. In, in, the, in the book of Genesis, cities are almost, without exception, negative places. Uh, they're, they're, they're where the corrupt and sinful line of Cain goes, right? The, the line that's against the godly line goes to the cities, builds the cities. Um, so we see Genesis 4, Cain, the murderer, builds the first city. Uh, Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, the city raised in defiance against God and his people, um, and then the next major cities we see in Genesis are Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, so for, uh, right, uh, we saw there was Sodom and Gomorrah a lot. He moves closer and closer and inches towards that worldliness represented by Sodom and entangled in that. 
Um, cities aren't inherently wicked. That's not the point. Um, God has a city as well that he's building. Um, but to see a patriarch in Genesis move towards a city should be a warning sign. Settling there, right? He's seeming to get comfortable with, with settling and no longer being a pilgrim. No longer waiting on God and, and his promises, but, but, uh, but settling in and getting comfortable with the sin of the surrounding nations. And this is going to play out with serious consequences in Genesis 34. Um, there's going to be rape. There's going to be attempted intermarriage and deceit and violence. All because he's settling near this city, um, uh, according to his own, his own plan. Um, but there's more than failure here. We, we, we see this failure, the lying, the settling near the city of Shechem, uh, getting comfortable and, and, uh, and not relying on the Lord. But, but there's more than failure here. Praise God. The chapter ends with Jacob worshiping. It ends with him setting up this altar, calling on the name of the Lord, and he names the altar El Elohe Israel, God, the God of Israel. That's his name, isn't it? My God. God, the God who has saved me, redeemed me, blessed me, pursued me, and brought me back into this promised land again. So, loved ones, what are we to make of Jacob's frustratingly mixed faith, as we've seen it uh, here? What What do we make of his divided heart? More importantly, probably the question we should ask is, what do we do with our divided hearts? And our frustratingly uh, mixed faith as, as well. Um, one minute praising the Lord, the next cursing our brother. Um, full of genuine love to the Lord, but then also seduced by the desires of the world. Uh, full, of, full of fear of the Lord, but then also so afraid of others and circumstances around us. Um, what, what, what do we do with these things? Remember who you are. Remember you're in Christ, new creation. You don't live under the old slavery to sin anymore. Remember your name, Israel, Christ. You, you are in Christ. You are a Christian. Um, it, it's, it's not a hopeless situation at all. We, we take our mixed hearts and we go to God and, and uh, we take the very prayer He's given us. Psalm 86, 11. Lord, unite my heart to fear Your name. Right, take my hopelessly divided heart Worshiping you, also hanging on to idols. Right? Take my warring factions in my heart, and Lord, you defeat the opposition. You unite my heart to fear and worship and love you alone. Root out my pride, root out my greed, and, and, and teach me the fear of you. He will hear that prayer, loved ones, because he has given you a Savior with a pure, undivided heart. A faithful, a faithful Savior uh, who died for your faithlessness and lives now in glory in heaven and has filled you with His Spirit and calls you. Keep coming after Him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You. Uh, we thank You for our new name. And we are in Christ. Pray, Father, that You would help us to live as sons set free in Christ. We pray that you teach us new obedience and grant us perseverance in the long obedience in the same direction. We pray this for Christ's sake. Amen.